First Kings and chapter 11 beginning at verse 1 King Solomon however loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians and Hittites They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after other gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely, as David his father had done. Verse 9, The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, Since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him, but will give him one tribe for the sake of David my servant and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. Our series has been Solomon and we've described this as a case study of culture, human effort and God's purposes. Last week his great human effort in building the temple and the palace resulted in him yielding to the subtle attractions of power and wealth. Today we consider Solomon and God's purposes. He was a man of unique gifts, formidable power and incredible wealth and God acted in Solomon's life and made promises to him were they kept and today we really want to set Solomon's life in the broader context of the monarchy the reign of the kings and of God's purposes now the final verse of 1 Kings 11 tells us that Solomon died and was buried in the city of David, his father. Now we can imagine his funeral would have been a grand occasion, attended by dignitaries from near and far. It would have been a lavish ceremony with eloquent praise of his outstanding achievements and emotional grieving over the loss of such a competent ruler. The great man died and was buried and then the chapter concludes Rehoboam his son succeeded him as king now isn't that life 
<laughs> we live, we die, we're buried, and that's it. Well, actually, that is not how the Bible tells this story. Remember last week how the structure of these 11 verses is put together in a very interesting way. There are mirror images starting from the centre and working out above and below. But it illustrates for us a general downward slide in the life of this man. The start of chapter 11 began telling us about some more of Solomon's personal affairs. He loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. The other wives came from those places that surrounded Israel. And despite earlier prohibition of such relationships on the ground of disloyalty to God, Solomon chose to go his own way and his wisdom turned to folly. And in verse 9 of chapter 11, God appeared to Solomon, but now God's warnings turned to judgment. The Lord became angry with Solomon. He had actually failed as king and God was going to give the kingdom to somebody else. So there's actually a big difference in the way Solomon's friends might have evaluated his life compared with how God assessed him. Now look, does this matter? Wasn't this guy a good bloke who maintained peace and prosperity for his people? Does it matter what God says? And really, what does this old historical stuff mean to us today, if anything? Anyway, nobody's perfect, so what's the use? Look at Solomon. He does his best, but then gets rubbed out in the end. Does God have any right to tell us how we should live? So there are some things we need to investigate more carefully. Where did this whole idea of kings and kingdoms come from? So first we're going to look at God and the monarchy. And I'm going to go back in time, some 400 years from Solomon's time, to the time of Moses. And God showed him that his people would eventually ask for a king, like the other nations had. And in this passage of scripture, God set out the guidelines for the appointment of a king when he was asked for. And we can identify in these verses on the screen six qualifications. Number one, he must be one of their own people. Now number two, he must not acquire great numbers of horses, which really means military equipment. Thirdly, he must not take many wives. Next, he must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold or wealth. He must know and obey God's laws and decrees. And finally, he must not consider himself better than others. He must not be a proud person. Well, the time did come when the people wanted a king. And so many years later, we come to the time of Samuel 
and in 1 Samuel chapter 8, they did ask for a king. They said to Samuel, their leader, give us a king to lead us such as the other nations have. Now Samuel was actually concerned about this but God said he should go ahead with the appointment. Then God made this statement in verse 7. It's not you, Samuel, that they've rejected but they have rejected me as king as they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day forsaking me and serving other gods so they are doing with you. At this very early time, people had rejected God as their king. The idea of kingship didn't start in the time of Solomon. It went back a long, long time in their history when God was their king. And since their new king now would be chosen from one of their own number, it was inevitable that he was going to fail. And from our studies in 1 Kings over the past couple of weeks, we know that of that list of requirements in Deuteronomy 17, Solomon failed all but one. The other kings failed also. And the failure of the kings did become a problem. But the failure of the people had always been a problem. God did not make a mistake in choosing kings. It was the people who failed to obey God. The monarchy was part of God's plan for his people. Establishing the nation. I want to go back a little further in time. Back to Exodus and chapter 19 and the first few verses. How was it that God came to be known as the king of Israel, the king over his people? The people had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years, but then they were free. They could not have freed themselves. It was an act of God. And then having reached Mount Sinai, the people took a break and they camped there and God spoke to them through Moses. And he said to them, you have seen what I did to Egypt and how I brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The people all responded together in verse 8 and they said, we will do everything the Lord has said. The story continued a bit and in a later chapter they reaffirmed that statement. We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Now it's interesting. You will be for me a kingdom. Who rules over a kingdom? A king. Now those people had been set free by God from slavery in Egypt and then bound together as a kingdom of people over whom God would reign as king. That's where it began. But they had to obey his laws. 
Now for those people at that time there was no question that God had acted for their long term good and that as their deliverer he had every right to set the conditions of their relationship and so they gladly agreed to the terms and conditions given them through Moses. So in summary, God formed the nation over which he would reign as their king. But he knew that in future times they would want a king like other nations had. And so he set rules for those kings. The time came when they said, we do want a king. And so they appointed Saul and then David and then Solomon. Did God have a plan and a purpose in all this? Was it just a matter of living, dying, being buried and that was it? Now that event at Mount Sinai where the people camped was not only of critical importance for those people in that they were gathered together as a kingdom, it demonstrated a principle that is repeated time and time again in scripture. It has four parts to it. Firstly, God acted in a unique way for the long-term benefit of people. Now on that occasion, he gathered the people and delivered them from slavery in Egypt. Second point, on the basis of his action, God sought a response from those people and so he gathered them together at Mount Sinai. The response he sought from them was trust and obedience. And so the people responded, we will do everything the Lord says. But God knew that failure was going to be a problem. And so failure to trust and obey required the people to confess and repent. Repent means to turn around. And all of that comes in the accompanying material that God gave to Moses, the various sacrifices of the Old Testament system. Now that pattern of four stages is repeated many times in the Bible in the fulfilling of God's purposes for people, nations, individuals. Furthermore, this event was to be a preview of what God purposed for all people of all nations. And it is important to notice that God had provided a way back for people who failed. And of course those people at that time very soon did. Well now we move on to David and Solomon again. We return from those past experiences how the kingship was established and how the monarchy came into being to consider David and Solomon again. First we look at how God acted in a unique way for David's long term benefit. And in 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 8 God says, I took you, David, to be ruler over my people. And when your days are over, I will raise up your offspring, and we know it was Samuel, to succeed you. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. 
I will be his father and he shall be my son. Here was a surprising promise. A son of David would reign after him and his kingdom would continue forever in a remarkable relationship with God. David was Solomon's father but God says I will be his father and he will be my son. Now we've seen that of all David's sons it was the unexpected Solomon the son of Bathsheba who became king. Now David had an affair with her and he later married her but it was a sad failure. And yet he was given the promise. When Solomon also failed God took the kingdom away from him. Now that doesn't seem fair. And what happened to God's promise of an eternal kingdom after Solomon's failure? But there's another difficulty in chapter 11. We only read a part of it. But in the chapter there are ten references to David as a model follower of God. Solomon, you don't do it like David did. Solomon, you are not like your father. But in the New Testament, we find that Paul quotes God as saying that David was a man after his own heart who did everything he wanted him to do. That almost sounds a bit rich when you think of David because we tend to remember the things he did not do. But I think we can find an explanation Why is David held up as the good boy in chapter 11 of 1 Kings? Well, I want you to look again at those four steps in the achieving of God's purposes for people. And of course that included David. Firstly, God acted in David's life a number of times but on this particular occasion he gave David a promise. Now what response did David make? We have lots of responses expressed in the Psalms of David but here's one, Psalm 31 and verse 23. He says, love the Lord, all his faithful people. David loved the Lord. That was his response and he urges all his other people in his nation to do the same because he knew that God kept his word. But then there's that third step and we see that David did not obey. He was not faithful to God at that point. But of course there was step four. When David was made aware of his sexual failure with Bathsheba he faced up to the issue of confession and repentance. We're told about it in Psalm 51 and he says to God, I know my transgressions, my sin is always before me. Create in me a pure heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And God did. 
failure for David was not final and need not be for anyone who seeks to follow God's ways. In the New Testament, the Apostle John expressed it for us this way, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. God's purposes are not made ineffective by human failure, although there are consequences. That was David. What about Solomon? He also failed. But do you know in all of the 11 chapters that we've been going through, there is nothing about his confession or repentance. Now God had acted in his life in a number of ways. And Solomon did respond positively at times. But then failure came. Perhaps not suddenly, as in the case of David, but just gradually, steadily over the years, bit by bit. But nevertheless, he failed. And he did not confess or repent following that failure. So what did Solomon make of life as he had experienced it? I think there's an answer for us in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. This was the other reading that I asked you to have a look at during the week and when you read it you probably wondered what on earth this had to do with Solomon. I think he wrote it. If he didn't write it, somebody else wrote the book of Ecclesiastes and this part was about Solomon. And so here's the assessment that Solomon makes of his own life. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work. And this was the reward for my labour. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Friend, doesn't your heart ache for people who come to that point? The whole of life has been meaningless and achieving nothing. But here's the stark contrast between David and Solomon. Both failed. But one admitted failure, confessed and repented, the other did not and lost the kingdom. Well, we need to draw some things together. When the kings failed and the monarchy fell apart, God used his prophets to convey his message to people. Isaiah was one of those prophets and he was shown that God's purposes, God's plan for people had not been abandoned. And around 700 BC he wrote in his chapter 9 verses 6 to 7 To us a child is born, to us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. 
He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. This is hundreds of years after David's time. God would act again in a unique way for the long-term benefit of people. A new king would reign on David's throne in a time still to come. So we pass over the books of the Old Testament and to Luke chapter 2. And Joseph, a descendant of David and Mary his promised wife-to-be, went to Bethlehem where that promised child was born. And the news was announced. Today in the town of David a Saviour has been born to you and he is Christ the Lord. He did not come as a king then, but rather he came as a Saviour. And they called his name Jesus because he would save people from failure. Sin is failure, failure to obey God. And there on that occasion God acted again in a unique way for the long-term benefit of people. John summarised God's unchanging plan for people this way. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Live, die, buried, that's it. It is not it. And this is not now just for the Jews but for all people of all time in all nations. And God still seeks a response from people and the conditions are still the same but now expressed in terms of believing in Jesus to the point where people will gladly obey him. Jesus came then as saviour. Well, will he ever reign as king? Wasn't that the promise to David? So we go to the end of the Bible where the Apostle John was given a glimpse of the completion of God's story the fulfilment of God's purposes for people. And John wrote, I I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne. Who reigns on thrones? And the voice said, Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. And they will be his people and God himself will be with them. And who showed John these things? So right towards the very end of the Bible, chapter 22 of Revelation, verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony and I am the root and offspring of David. 
God's original promise to David will be fulfilled in Jesus the son of David in the kingdom of God shared with all who love and obey him for their long term eternal benefit. A new life in a new kingdom God's purposes for humanity wonderfully fulfilled. But we must finish at this point. We must go back to those four steps by which God's purposes can be fulfilled in you and in me. Firstly, God has acted in a unique way for your long-term benefit. He sent Jesus to be your Saviour. He will come a second time to reign as King. And on the basis of that action, God seeks a response from you. All who do receive Jesus become children of God. There is that beautiful relationship. God is our Father. We are His children. A remarkable relationship. The response God seeks is still our trust and obedience. And Jesus said, if you love me, you will do what I command. But we know failure. And if you have failed, the way back is confession and repentance. Failure need never be final. Solomon was a remarkable man of history. He started so well but like others, was drawn away from God's purposes by misguided sex and the attractions of power and wealth. Was it God's fault? But he did provide a way back for those who fail. Both David and Solomon made a choice but with vastly different outcomes. So for you, will it be God's purposes or your purposes? Friends, if there's been anything that's been a little bit confused or unclear to you, please come and ask about it. If in your response you might be thinking, I've never actually entered into a relationship like that with God, I've never seen it like that before. Then if we can help you with that, please come and see us, see me or one of the elders entering into that relationship with God for the first time, becoming a member of his kingdom. Or if we have failed, we must do something about it. Don't put it off. 
And again, if we can help you with prayer or encouragement, please ask about that. Start off a new year in a new way. For the one who is your Saviour, Lord and King. Let us pray. To him who is able to keep us from falling and who will present us before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Saviour be glory, majesty, power and authority now and for evermore. Amen.